loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Jana Lopez. Jana's life work revolves around expression through words and images. Her first book, Me, Myself, and I, a midlife conversation about lost identity, grief, and seeing who you are, was released January 2020. Jana hosts a popular podcast called Identity Talk, which explores how people from all walks of life come to see who they are. Jana teaches transformational writing workshops to help people discover their voice through words and coaches individuals in deep explorative writing intended for healing, self-discovery, and empowerment. And you can find her at janalopez.com. Welcome, Jana. Thank you. It's great to be here. I, I think I should probably spell some of the words in your title. Me and my are obvious, selfies obvious, but I, E-Y-E, um, may not be what people are hearing out there, huh? That's definitely not what people expect, but it's a good conversation starter because there's so much meaning behind that particular word. And maybe that's a place to start. You know, I think what we're here to talk about is, uh, in your case, what some might phrase a midlife crisis. Um, but of course, having read your book, uh, it was clear to me that that was one uh, one version of the kinds of crises, crises people have frequently, especially my guests on this show, where something takes you to the ground and you have to figure out who you are. Um, yes. So could you say a little bit the way that you understand that uh, those aspects of your title? Because I think those those defining, the way you're thinking about those words really matter in the conversation. Yes, and that's a great, very great uh, insight and good question. So the me that I describe in the book is the person that you know yourself to be through your ideas, your mind, your job titles, your expectations, all of the things that you come to identify as you move in the world. The selfie is the person that you project in the world. And that could be, again, because of your roles or your expectations and definitely social media's influence in this day and age. It's the person that you project in the world in the hologram version, I guess, for you to uh, put out there. And the I, the E-Y-E, that is the person and the process that you go through to discover how to see yourself again after some of these major midlife shifts when nothing feels certain and you have no idea who you are in the world anymore. So the I is more about, it's a noun and a verb, I like to say. It's <laughs> the, the act of, in the process of seeing, and it's also uh, who you come to see at the end of this. Well, is there really an end, but in, in the midst of this process. <laughs> well, uh, I'm here to say there isn't. I wanted to share with you a little experience I had this morning speaking of social media. I've been working hard. I turned 67 yesterday. Happy birthday. And, 
Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, weird time to turn any age, but <laughs> particularly being in that age group is a little challenging these days. But I've been claiming the word old. Hmm. Uh, and so I posted something about being old. I qualify, you know, and I said some things about I've I've earned who I am now, but I didn't do anything to get this old, except hmm. I didn't die, right? Right. Uh, I mean, I got some lovely comments uh, that I appreciated and everything. I, I've taken it on as my new uh, banner, uh, oh. claiming old. Anyway, uh, one person uh, posted... Uh, age is just a number. And uh, I find that particularly troubling, actually. <laughs> and I know that's what people say as a kind of a reassurance. Um, yes. So, so I, but I don't find it reassuring. Why uh, is that? Why is that? Yeah. Because uh, age is not just a number. In, in very many directions. And I think your book points that out, too. That's why I'm taking the time with the story. Yeah. Uh, I'm 67 years old. That means I've had a ton of experiences. I've done my mess, best to make wisdom out of them. Mm -hmm. I don't have a younger body. I have mm -hmm. an old body. That uh, She later said something about... Um, you know, don't just walk the bases, slide into home. And I'm like, easy for you to say, can't mm -hmm. do that. <laughs> you know, so um, that's okay with me. Mm -hmm. I, I feel as if the age I am is okay with me. It better be, right? Because that's the age I am. So I think, I think it hooks into a whole thing that I thought I was hearing in your book about cultural expectations of certain ages and what's wrong with them and the shame that kind of comes from being 50 or being 67 or somehow not being the same productive, young, outward-oriented person. But I think there's some redeeming value in it. What do you think? I think that's an interesting thing. I, I was thinking two things. I sort of split screen on that answer when you were telling the story. I mean, I, I think part of it is all the expectations that we have probably carry over into some new form or fashion, depending on where we are with what, what's happening around us, what's going mm. on in relation to who we are. So maybe somebody at 67 might have expectations around uh, being a grandparent or a caregiver for somebody, a spouse maybe, or on the way to that anyway, or um, things change. And socially, we're an interesting culture here in this country. I think if we were to go other places, being 67 would probably mean something different. So I hear what you're saying about everything that goes along with it. People do want to have the pithy sort of solutions or, or assurances or responses to things they don't really talk about or don't really understand, which is more what's interesting to me. So at 67, I would think, the conversation could be so rich and meaningful about those times when you didn't know who you were and look at how far you've come or what you discovered or what this, uh, I don't even like calling it the next chapter because I think that's kind of <laughs> it's all one, also, one right? ongoing. <laughs> it is. It's the next thing that happens, right? There is. There really, really is. And so I think as humans, as people who function in this life and in this culture, we want tidy, pithy, sort of anecdotal 
understandings of, of times in our life and experiences in our life. And I don't ascribe to either. I don't, I don't think they really exist. I think it's just a way to keep us uh, superficial and uh, it, to survive. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. When you go into a grocery store and you want to say hi to the checker, you say, how's your day going? Um, what, whatever they answer, are you, you know, do people really respond? But, but what I try and do in, in the little moments to create those connections, if I do talk to a checker or, you know, if you were to say I am 67, I probably would want to at least look you in the eyes and acknowledge that you have said something to me that means something to you. <laughs> I hear what you're saying. And, and that leads us sort of to the heart of the book, which is, um, you you kind of rewrite the dark night of the soul mm-hmm. that we've all heard about to the dark flight. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I thought that was an interesting re- uh, rewrite hmm. in the sense that uh, there's a lot of movement in a flight, isn't there? Mm-hmm. there <laughs> even is. though even though in the midst of it, you feel as if you're stuck or, you know, I'm I'm assuming you felt that, like, that how am I ever going to get through this? Yes. But, but meantime, things were moving a little bit outside of your awareness, maybe. Can you talk about how you came up with that phrase and what it means to you? Yeah, another good question. Uh, words are very important to me. I think that choosing words, at least in my own world that I move in, it helps me form a relationship of understanding if I can name it. And when I was in the middle of this thing, uh, this funky junk, as I call it, this this period of time, I really didn't understand what was happening because I've always been somebody who's self-aware or at least tries to be self-aware. And there was a lot of disassociation and there was depression. There was, you know, all sorts of things in there. Existentialism, sure, why not? It's a smorgasbord at this point. But um, the dark night of the soul was an idea that I, that I had came up when I was talking to some friends over some cocktails one evening. And I did a little bit of research and I thought, well, that's really interesting. But the idea of dark night of the soul, night infers like you're one and done. And for me, I was in the middle of this for like four years and it felt like I really didn't know where I was going. I didn't have any compass and I felt like a small little bird, you know, flying across a very vast, dark ocean. And so the idea of flight was more honest. And then the idea of uh, self instead of soul, because it's a dark flight of the self, um, was related to the idea that soul for a lot of people has a religious or spiritual context that it's the essence of who you are outside of what you know in your mind and your cognition and for me it felt like my identity was what i knew even if it's a falsehood or whatever (laughs) buddhist principle talks about the illusion or whatever's out there you know, I'm the only me, I'm the only me I knew. So uh, the dark flight sure. of the self, self instead of soul, it, it basically honors the fact that you have a mental relationship and a mental knowing to who you are that cannot be ignored in your process of this identity shift. So the dark flight of the self was was about this ongoing journey, no destination, as your identity and your relationship to who you know yourself to be is changing that would be a definition that I would give that. And uh, one thing that stands up out to me about that is this sense of expectation, who, th- who we think we're going to be. 
yes. Uh, you know, uh, when uh, when my my wife, who got me started on this journey of of uh, approaching loss, um, was diagnosed, it it changed who I expected to be going mm-hmm. forward. It changed changed my expectation of my future in such a radical way that I didn't know where I was. Yep, I know that. I feel that <laughs> when so, you say it, I can feel that right away. So for for you, it was this pivotal moment where a lot of things collided. Um, but one one thing I'm remembering is a, a an interview I had in which we were talking about Dark Night of the Soul and the person, Mirabai Star is her name. Uh, she said, it's not just when bad things happen. It's when bad things happen and your previous means of coping don't work. And, you know, uh, I, I like your rewrite of the actual words, but I kept thinking about that definition as I was reading, too. Because I did incorporate that idea. That's really interesting because I hadn't, I hadn't really read that or heard that. I'm sure it exists. Uh, it just means that I haven't come across it. But, I, but it, the description I give, it's like trying to boot a Mac system with a DOS operating system that whatever tools you had in the past no longer work. So that's kind of when you realize that this is something different because everything you've done, every trick in your book, every trick in your bag, nothing is making a difference in how you're understanding what's happening or how you're feeling about what's happening. So that Mm -hmm. does make sense to me. Maybe this would be a good time for you to share a little bit out of the book so people can get a sense of sure. kind of your writing voice, which, of course, is always different than our speaking one, isn't it? You know, it's funny. I, I've been told, that's the one thing I've been told probably a hundred times is that you sound like you write or you write like you sound. So I don't <laughs> well, know. Well, y- yes and no. I've, we've talked with each other only a brief time. And yeah. I'd say there are differences and samenesses, but I'd love for you to share a little bit uh, from the book. Okay. Which uh, section? The one, uh, two, or maybe, three? I, I love this phrase, after countless attempts to change the sad sack channel, okay, so we'll <laughs> where go, we we'll try to make ourselves feel better. <laughs> yes. Uh, do you want me to go to the second uh, piece to read that first section or the uh, whole thing? Well, we only have a few minutes. So, All right. So I'll uh, just start just, and yeah. then we'll, I'll, I'll figure it out when to stop. So great. All right. Here we go. Me, myself, and I. After countless attempts to change the sad sack channel, I finally realized the pathway beyond a dark night of the soul wouldn't be the same I've dredged through as when depressed. With depression, at least in my experience, counseling held a spotlight into darker corners. I often still felt sad after a session, but I had insight. During the midlife phase, I reframed from dark night of the soul to dark flight of the self I left counseling more lost because there was an expectation of clarity that never transpired. When it came to meandering through my dark flight, past problem-solving strategies no longer applied and understanding was elusive. There was nowhere to turn, nothing to label, really, no one thing to identify. If I could have, I would have, and I would have done anything to change it, but I didn't know what it was And since it was foreign, the mystery hunkered down, which added to my feelings of being lost, because I was. Relief, although minor, didn't emerge until my understanding of what I was in, a dark flight of the self, became clear. It was a transformational experience, distinct from both a dark night of the soul and depression. I've since learned where flights originate 
and about the long, uncharted process toward a new reality. You know, you, uh, that particular section reminded me so much of uh, Stephen Levine, with whom I spent a lot of time. I talk about him a lot on the show. Uh, he used to say, "When you're when you're uh, when you're in something deep, you know, and and challenging, there's no method but the Braille method." Uh, you have to feel your way along. You can't, you can't see ahead. <laughs> that is, that is, couldn't, that's very true. Uh, so, so I get the impression of you from the book that that is absolutely not the way you operated before that period of your life, that you've been very intentional, you've been able to plan and execute, yep. uh, that you were maybe particularly able to fulfill your goal orientation. Uh, and then suddenly you couldn't, huh? That's that sounds about right. I mean, I think it's it's about uh, when you tell yourself all the cliches and all the the things that you've done and fake it till you make it and it, whatever you do, there's always something that immediately band aids or uh, momentarily solves it to where you can breathe enough to get to the next thing. But at this point, at this stage in the game, like when I realized I was in something different, it wasn't didn't matter what I said or what I did or who I talked to, or, you know, I just woke up every day feeling the same disassociated, sad. The word I actually came up with and I searched for the right word for like months was inert. Mm, <laughs> I was completely word. inert. It, it is a great word. Once I read the definition, I'm like, that's it. I'm inert. <laughs> you found it. <laughs> it's perfect. It's interesting because there, you know, there's this idea you have to be where you are to get where you're, where you're going. So mm -hmm. I imagine when you found that word, it placed you right where you were. There's a relief in that, isn't there? Yeah, I think there is. I mean, nobody, I think we want to know what we're up to. I think even if we know we're sad, it's better to know than not know. I don't, maybe not for everybody. Some people are oblivious or ignorant in their own desires to know what's going on with themselves. And that's fine. You know, not everybody has to be completely self-aware or on this path and it's not for everybody and it's not for everybody at every time so but for me you know I felt felt like not the not knowing was part of the uh, discomfort and sadness and disassociation I, I would rather would have known what was what was stirring inside and that was part of what prompted me to actually write the book was to help other people who maybe were feeling or going through something similar in some variation and wanted to put some of what they were going through into words or into expression. And I, and I have heard that a lot. People tell me that they will read the book and thank you so much for putting words to something I, I didn't know what I was going through. So that to me feels like a win. Well, grief likes company, doesn't it? Ultimately. It does. At first, maybe not, but later on, yeah, it's, it's too, uh, not having any way to reflect on the experience and know that others have had it um, makes it harder, I think. So you Well, I think, yeah, I mean, you're probably right. I and mean, with grief, it's the one thing we're alone together in. Mm, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Let's take a break and we'll come back to that in a, in a few minutes. And All listeners, right. you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. You can like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, all of the things people do to stay connected. Uh, you can join my email list, find my novel, An Ocean Between Them. And to find Jana Lopez, go to janalopez.com, J-A-N-A, 
J-A-N-N-A-L-O-P-E-Z.com. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Jana Lopez about her book, Me, Myself, and I. And uh, Jenna, I want to I want to talk about sort of the intersecting things that happened in your life that contributed to a crisis of midlife. Of course, uh, a lot of people have those more than we probably know. Uh, and and part of what I associate it with is. Um, having the illusion that a goal-oriented life will bring happiness when Mm -hmm. that sort of runs out. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you either try to bolster it or you realize, oh, succeeding was not all it was about, right? Right. (laughs) Uh, There's something something else that's important here. Um, And I think often that phrase has been um, applied to men more. And uh, women, you know, people talk about menopause more, maybe. But yeah. you had a bunch of intersecting uh, uh, calamities of identity or um, difficulties. Yep. Um, and you said somewhere in the book, uh, you know, I don't know if I would have paid attention if it wasn't so terrible or, yep. <laughs> you know, yep. it almost took everything falling apart to to get to my knees almost in a way yeah i think that's true Mm -hmm. would you would you talk about the things that sort of 
fell on you all at once that led to just not being able to, you know, power on? Sure. Uh, there's there's something I, I called it the seven D's um, because it felt it felt like there were things that happen in midlife that are inevitable and they fell into these categories. There was death. Somebody, you know, dies in your family or there's a disease diagnosis, divorce, disillusionment. Um, and I'm trying to think of what the other ones are. But anyway, there, there are some things that happen. And uh, it's not that the thing itself happens. It's just that it happens that you're in the middle point of your life. And so this thing happens and then it takes down the rest of the pillars, so to speak. And for me, I had gone through a divorce. I did get a disease diagnosis. I was diagnosed with MS. I uh, did have, uh, my grandmother passed away. Um, my business that I had sold, uh, went into this legal demise and this whole path of just ickiness. And so it felt like all of the things that were defining things of who I was, and that's really what it's about. There are these things that you are defined by in your life and who you are in relation to those things. So when those things go away or change, you no longer have a sense of yourself because the relationship that you had is gone. So, I think it is. I think it is worth mentioning all of them because people will be able to relate it. Death, divorce, disease, disillusionment, destruction, dismantling and devastation. Thank you. Those are a lot of D's. <laughs> yeah. And they all have some meaning like devastation. I have a friend who lost her house in a fire. So it's like a leveling of things that are beyond your control or if you get fired from your job. Uh, so it felt like these things I, I knew everybody I knew, I would say 95% of the people I knew had gone through one, if not more of these things in their midlife point where they were left wandering the desert, so to speak. I have to say that the one that kind of, um, stood out a bit as, as pivotal, uh, was the betrayal that happened in the selling of your oh, magazine. Yes. That was big. Uh, because, you know, to me, you reach an apex, you're ready to sell a successful business that you've built from the ground up, you know, yep. uh, and that would lead in my mind to an expectation of, of um, kind of an earned and deserved reduction of pressure. And what's next? I mean, that you're and really focused on dreaming about what's next. What's next and the space you're going to have yes. and all of these good yep. things. And then um, yep. you can talk some about the betrayal itself, but uh, what a what a loss of, of um, internal picture. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't fully address the, your question, which I just want to finish up on that thought. I just realized, so you had asked about like, why does everything, you know, does it have to happen that way? Or my belief about it has to happen that way. And truly, if we're ever going to really get to the core and the nitty gritty and the, the most ripest, deepest aspects of ourselves, no, it, it's, I don't want to say it takes work, but it does take energy and effort and focus and if things are going fine in your life, why would you want to do that? If things, if everything is exactly as you wanted and you're, you're happy and that's great, good for you. And so there's no incentive 
uh, I feel like the leveling had to happen in order for me to take the look that was necessary because nobody wants to be uncomfortable. I call it the path of least resistance. Right? <laughs> so, you know, uh, I, um, I, it reminds me of something one of my teachers used to say. He would say, um, we agree not to feel too good as long as we don't feel too bad. Oh, we, we, you know, because everything is not perfect before the fall, right? But no. it's, but it's tolerable. And I don't know about you, but, you know, my life shakeup, my crisis point has made me better at recognizing the need for change before everything falls apart. It's an interesting uh, thing, the idea of change. I think now more than ever, 2020, July, where we're sitting with everything, if people haven't had a conversation or two or 50 about what change means since January, February of this year, then they are completely missing the entirety of what's going on because everything has changed and will remain change. It's funny to hear people say, oh, I can't wait till we get back to normal. And I just don't think that is ever going to happen. We can never not know what we don't, what we not, what we now know and the relationships of just going into a bar and standing next to somebody and having a drink or hugging your friend or all those little things that we took for granted. It is really about taking stock and imagining and feeling into whatever it is that we really need or want in our own lives. We can't ignore it anymore i mean it's mm. here so it's an interesting time my book came out at a really interesting time it was kind of like in one hand i thought wow it just came out what's going to happen to my book on the other hand i'm like wow my book is so needed right now <laughs> there's <laughs> always a, a couple you know? of different angles on a thing aren't there right yeah for sure and you know that's interesting what you say because i've been i've been looking at the when i when i'm in a um a moment where i can just look and not um, keep some object objectivity or some balance. Mm -hmm. um, the the reactions people are having to what I consider to be grief events. I mean, we all lost the life we had before. Yep. You know, in California, it was around March sixteenth <laughs> where yeah. we lost it. Everybody lost it at some point. Uh, but then the the broader picture of um, racism and. Um, fascism and all the rest of it yeah. um to me there is a uh either you say oh okay this is happening or you go it's not really happening it's not really happening uh to me that feels like a real undercurrent you know are we uh are we accepting that uh normal doesn't have any particular meaning right now we don't know what that is even and that there's only change possible uh yeah i mean i think it is all grief too to your point uh i wrote an article on medium about everything about the pandemic is grief because they're coming in waves all the things that we are losing are so first it was spring break vacations and then it was the, the dream that we could go to work and leave our kid at school and not have to worry about daycare or becoming a teacher at a homeschool <laughs> or, uh, you know, all the things that just one by one by one by one, all these things have come up that we've had to grieve about even trusting that everything beneath our feet is safe and good. So 
I feel like the measures of grief that we're going through, I, I will say there has been a huge, for me, the people that I'm around or whatever, a flip side where I've seen people get extremely creative, extremely productive, extremely open-minded, extremely critical in their thinking, innovative in how they approach things. So it's been a complete uh, juxtaposition of what was, what might be, who we are, who we're not, the dark, the light, the politics. Mm. The... So in some ways, if, if you're awake and you're alive to what's going on, there's no way to not embrace the extreme measures of everything that's happening at <laughs> once. Now, that's not easy to do, and I still struggle with it. But man, it's there every day. I feel this juxtaposition, the paradox. It's with me all the time. The presence of it is it's fascinating to me. I don't love it. You know, it's not like I would do it, but as an outside observer, <laughs> if I were to go back in time and have a, you know, I would say, wow, that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. If, if stuff is going to happen, let's learn. Let's not, let's not stow it back up. Right. right. Uh, uh, I'd love to have you share uh, another piece from your book that starts uh, during the darkest parts of the transitional flight. All there right. was more anger directed to myself than there was fear. Yeah. And uh, that's so important because that's, that's definitely a roadblock in this process of change that maybe even most people experience is kind of uh, chewing their own tails about what's going on. Yeah. finding themselves wrong. Yeah. Uh, would you mind sharing that part of the book? Yes, thank you. Okay. During the darkest parts of the transitional flight, there was more anger directed to myself than there was fear. That's how grief showed up. As a self-initiating person with a lifetime understanding of how I moved in the world, how I responded to situations, how I cast my mind to create reality, being in an, an emotional position of helplessness made me angry. But underneath the rage was something I'd never acknowledged before. I was afraid. What if I remained stuck forever? What if nothing changed? I was afraid of dying, yet afraid of living. I was afraid of saying too much and afraid of not saying enough. I was afraid of loving, but afraid of losing if I loved. I was afraid of not being enough, yet afraid of being too much. I was afraid of being left behind, yet afraid to take the lead. I was afraid of becoming invisible, yet afraid of being clearly seen. I was afraid of never knowing who I really am. I am afraid of knowing who I really am. Being powerless to clutch onto the only tightly held me I'd ever known as I watched myself tumble was terrifying. The sensation was like opening my mouth to scream as I dropped, only no sounds came out while the truth of who I was rapidly fell apart. The midlife crevasse was not like any other before. As the descent from a previous me began and the dark flight took over, I floated through clouds of threatening territory. Yeah, I've had those free falls. <laughs> That's familiar to me. And it's, it, it, it is those moments where we can't see ahead. That, that seems particularly threatening. I'm going to say that's, that's, uh, a cultural phenomenon too. I don't know if everyone in the entire world experiences that in the same way. That it's that it's so threatening um, not to see where you're going. I wouldn't have a way to know. I don't live anywhere else. But we're so goal oriented. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it, I, think I feel as if that's a part of it. It, it is, and I think that that comes from a more systemic, larger social cultural expectation that that you are what you do. You are you are less than if you don't produce. And I had an interesting conversation in my creative writing MFA program that I'm in right now. And she was talking about if artists are valued for what they contribute to society, uh, is it seen as productive and valuable and artists are the ones that sort of record and discuss and reflect on history and culture in some very profound ways. And they're used to create things and innovate things and connect the community. And there's so much there and that artists are really less valued because of what they actually produce or contribute. And they're not seen as, uh, you know, producers of, of whatever the economy would, would want to have generated. So uh, it's an interesting idea. Well, I, um, my, my youngest child is in um, theater and film. She works for Sundance Films. And so most of her community is completely out of work, including her boyfriend who builds sets. Mm -hmm. And I feel it's a real comment on how we value artists, mm -hmm. to your point, because none of them have regular gigs. <laughs> you know? Yep. And so when things, when things collapsed um, because of COVID, they're kind of the first to have nowhere to go. Uh, and to, and then the flip side though is that many artists I know are finding such creative ways to make their art right now. Yep. Uh, I'm a I'm in a choir. We're having to completely redesign how we make art, how we make music. Yep. For instance, and uh, it's not easy, but it is. If I can step back a minute, fascinating. You know, it that is. the need the, the, the need to create, to, to have an impact, to have a voice overcomes the impediment in many cases. Agreed. I, I think that's incredible. We're, we're you, you'd think we'd all be kind of laying down on the ground <laughs> right now. Yeah, we're, we're resilient and beautiful, for sure. Yeah. Time for our second break. Uh, listeners, you can go to my website, social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. You can like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, all of the things people do to stay connected. Uh, you can join my email list, find my novel, An Ocean Between Them. And to find Jana Lopez, go to janalopez.com, J-A-N-N-A-L-O-P-E-Z.com. Be back soon. <laughs> Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent. Inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. 
Over 20 million people in America struggle with substance use. This impacts both the people who are using and loved ones who are trying to help. Still, there is hope. Tune in to the Beyond Addiction Show with host Josh King. You'll hear from experts and get the real information you need to understand and assist in change. Change can be hard. It doesn't have to be confusing. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm here with Jenna Lopez, the author of Me, Myself, and I. And before the break, we were, you know, talking some about the circumstance we're all in. But of course, that's, from my view, uh, COVID has just pointed out things that were already there. So if we're talking about um, placing value on things that are not just products and you know, the place of artists in the world and um, the ability of all of us to change. Those have just all been ramped up, haven't they? Yeah. In, you, in these oh, times. Sorry, I thought you were. <laughs> no, no. Fine. I thought you were asking me what I thought. Yes, I am. <laughs> uh, so what's been interesting is I myself got super creative. I was really had because I had been in such a dark place for so long and had spent four years working on this book and was just starting to come out of all of this when uh, COVID hit, the book had just come out and I was really clear that I did not want to go back. And so I made a decision about, I'm either going to create, be part of the conversation. I'm going to get left behind from the conversation or I have to create a new conversation. I don't know why those three things came, but Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know what, I'm going to create a new conversation. And then it got sparked And I started doing all sorts of really interesting things. So to your point about the artists and the voices and finding a need to express, I started uh, offering a free online writing workshop where people could come on and I would help facilitate them writing through these really heavy, big things and help them find the words. And it's 19 weeks now I've been doing it. It's on Tuesday nights and people from all over just pop on and, it has been huge and the people that have been there connecting with each other in this community we've created and finding words to things that feel so unnameable has been probably one of the most interesting and gratifying things I think I've done. That's really interesting in terms of the scope of this show you're on right now because it's really about what ultimately comes out of allowing a grief process to unfold. Yes. And then when when that has happened, when you're looking back in some ways, you can't know where it's going. But that comes naturally out of what you did uh, that ultimately accompanied you on your own process. 
Yes, and I it's been it has been uh, I feel like because I have been through something I don't want to say it because everybody's it is different but I have been through something where I understand then when you're feeling lost and disconnected and disassociated and if I would have known what it was would I have done or felt or been kinder to myself but I recognize that people are lost and they feel disconnected and they don't really know how to find words. And I'm so passionate and good at connecting people to words. And I think that words can ultimately heal you. I know that sounds like a cliche, but I feel super, super strongly. And I've seen it with the people that I've been working with. I have somebody in my, my writing workshop, her husband died less than a year ago, suddenly. And I've got somebody else who you know, got diagnosed with cancer. And I mean, all sorts of things come up in life. But where are places or spaces where we can actually just sit and connect and explore through words, what it is that we're experiencing, we spend our whole life trying to disassociate or bury the feelings or avoid the feelings or just get through the day. I mean, we're just talking about survival in some ways. So to do this has been I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't have done this if I didn't. If you hadn't gone through that. For For sure. And I I would like to broaden that to uh, all forms of expression. Uh, For instance, for me, at the very early stages after my wife died, it was music. Mm -hmm. I absolutely had to sing. Yep. I mean, there was, it was not optional. Uh, and you know, most of the time in my life it is, I mean, I do it and then I don't do it and, you know, but I just really needed to, I've, I've talked with other people who, uh, absolutely needed to, uh, paint. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, for many people, words, words are it. They were, those were it for me later. So there's a timing thing for diff- for unique, um, unique paths, I guess I'll say. And I, and Uh, I would just add to anybody who out there who's, who thinks of that with the way I describe it and words, you know, to me, you don't have to be a quote unquote writer. I think people get super intimidated by words that their high school teachers sort of ruin them with the red pen. (laughs) Absolutely. And, you know, they feel like, well, I don't, what do I have to say? Or I don't have anything interesting or I'm not, I don't know grammar or, and, but I, I, if I could help people get through that initial fear and barrier and misperception and open them up to at least exploring, I have seen profound changes and everybody is a writer, I believe. Absolutely. I absolutely agree with you. Speaking of writing, I'd, I'd love for you to, to just share one more part of the book. Um, I, I like this sentence too. The dark flight of the self is strenuous but necessary to reach one's heart. Isn't that uh, the case? Defining the goal as reaching one's heart. I, I really appreciate that. Would you share that part of the book? Yes. The dark flight of the self is strenuous, but necessary to reach one's heart. Once one reaches one's own heart, the self, it changes how one lives, sees, feels, gives, and connects with everyone meaningful in their life. With my one life, I have to do and be and see and become, discover and experience Here was an opportunity to reckon how I wanted the remainder to go. Maybe midlife is the gift. By this stage, I had lost friends to cancer, heart attacks, misfortune, or suicide, and I was lucky enough to have made it this far. At midlife, my cognitive ability, or wisdom, 
to reflect was fortified enough to make meaning of my experiences, and I still had time left to do something intentional about what came next. The risk of a deeper life was worth it. I wanted to know that I gave myself a chance. Let me uncover at least a little who this woman is. I was willing to tolerate the emotional clumsiness to become familiar with a forgotten me. A midlife identity breakup showed me that it was time. I was making an introductory gesture of extending a hand to myself, the one who is me, without thinking or producing or wielding a professional title. I was extending an olive branch, making the first move, putting my other self out there, and merely looking to say hello. Like so many others in midlife who feel lost and lonely and disconnected, I'd been initiated into the moment of realization. It was time to fly my way home. You know, one thing that stood out in in the book is that... Um, I, I appreciated that you didn't end it with a nice tidy bow. Um, sure. <laughs> that <laughs> that when you that when you kind of found your way through and found that self that you're talking about there, that didn't mean things stopped happening. And no. two quite major things, from my view, happened yes. after that. Um, one was this um, spiritual. Uh, uh, group that you became a part of, which I've been parts of groups oh, like that. And yeah. um, the injury of what that group did to you <laughs> really yeah. offended me. I know. <laughs> I, people were so pissed off when they, they read that part. They're like, oh my God. <laughs> but the important thing about including that was that the thoughts you had about that experience, I believe, were different because of the work you'd done. Maybe. Uh, uh, well, it's it felt that way to me that you could pretty um, pretty immediately in the group see it as something about of theirs. It you took know. a couple days of yeah. You know, well, but, yeah, for but, sure. It was I mean, surprise. you're a normal human being, but yeah. <laughs> but you know about not getting lost in that ideal. You know, that's sort of where we want to when we want to find ourselves. I think we do that. We get sucked into other people and other ideas and gurus and this and that. And that's really not the point of finding yourself is not losing yourself into something else. To, into something else. Exactly. And that you had that to come back to. And then, of course, being not diagnosed with uh, multiple sclerosis, which mm -hmm. is such a mystery illness in some ways. I mean, I know that stuff has been learned about it. Yep. But... Um, it felt to me as if what you brought to bear on that experience was being able to identify that as another identity crisis. That, Potential. Yeah. That, you know, I mean, I think illness is in some ways, uh, even though it doesn't change that big self that you're talking about, the big S self. Yeah. Uh, we do have pictures of ourselves until we're not healthy as healthy. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it was important because most books that I've read, I would say 90% of them, and maybe I haven't read all the books that are out there, and this is by no means a generalization, but I'm going to make it anyway, is that these books are really geared towards these superficial uh, answers to really complicated problems, you know, find bliss in seven steps, or right. you know, it's all about joy and happiness, and, and these ideals that people who are so far from that feel as if they're never going to be able to obtain that, 
And that it adds to the, the distance and the confusion. So what I really wanted people to know is that this is not tidy. This is not Hollywood ending. Life doesn't show up that way like a Better Homes and Gardens picture of a pie that you buy the magazine and then you bring the magazine home and you, you know, you, you look at it and then you feel guilty every time. Well, I really should make that pie. But you know, the truth is you're probably never going to make that pie. And then if you do, it's going to be some Pinterest fail. That's going to show up. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I think that goes back to the idea of just being where you are, being who you are, feeling what you feel and understanding those expectations and the be anger at yourself are not going to help you or serve you and to find kindness and compassion and know that it's never going to look like what what it appears of what the expectation is especially because of social media so to be a little bit kinder and a little bit gentler so i i wanted to include those two things because it felt more honest i had been so honest in the book and that's another thing that i had heard it's like oh my god i can't believe how much you talked about <laughs> you know, people were <laughs> yes. a little surprised by how revealing or how personal it was because i just threw it all out there but to bring you the whole way through a book and to, to bring you into my life and for me to be in your life in that way, that intimate way. And then at the end to give you this like fake, false, superficial, tidy ending would have been so wrong. Well, and also you're obviously geared towards um, being a, being a witness and being a, an accompanier mm -hmm. um, on people's, uh navigations i guess mm -hmm. i'll say yep and uh, for me in my own life i'll just say that the uh, the idea that i've gotten where i've most changed is in my ability to trust my own resources to mm -hmm. deal with what happens mm -hmm. uh it's not about setting up my life so those things won't happen mm -hmm. because that's unrealistic mm -hmm. uh but it's trusting myself in your sense, the big self, yep. whatever it is, I'll, I'll deal with it. Right. So the idea that there was a chapter in which more things happened that you're dealing with, yep. uh, I feel as if that's a very important message that does sometimes um, drop off in the interests of um, uh, tidy narrative, let's say. Yeah, it is about tidy narrative. And, you know, I feel like we're all imperfect. We're all doing what we can do. We're all trying to figure it out. And the way I figure it out is not going to be the way you figure it out. And the way you figure it out needs to happen in the way it needs to happen. And just some basic kindness to ourselves as we move forward and try to navigate like things that are just so overwhelming and also very beautiful. You know, we can experience these things and understand that these things are real and happening every single day and that we're just trying to make our way through this nutty beautiful imperfect fractured resilient life i just had this ramdas quote <laughs> pop up which is we're all just walking each other home uh it comes to mind in terms of what you and i are talking about right now that there's no there's no magic it <laughs> that there's makes no everything <laughs> there's no it there's no <laughs> it. Just... everybody that's the takeaway for the day there is no it this is it <laughs> but it's not it <laughs> this is not a dress rehearsal yes <laughs> exactly 
but there is a relief in in just just accepting that yes you know we're uh we're not going to perfect this world that's for sure but meanwhile we can do our part yes we can <laughs> i've really enjoyed our conversation today and so um, I. I hope people yeah. go look up your book and look up your work and and um you know take take part yeah take Thank part you. show up for yourself be there be in it and, and go just... towards what seems to support you yep so thanks for being here jana thank you so much for having me i've enjoyed it good and you can go to janalopez.com if you'd like to know more next week i'll have rabbi daniel cohen to talk about his book what will they say about me about you when you're gone. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.